You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Detroit's complex racial tensions are as fundamental to the city's history as its strategic location here on the Detroit River. Author Herb Boyd's new book, Black Detroit, A People's History of Self-Determination, highlights the complexity of the city's racial legacy from its earliest days. The book was released this week, and the Wright Museum is going to host Herb Boyd and a blue-chip panel Tomorrow to talk about it. Joining me now to talk about his book is Herb Boyd, journalist and author of Black Detroit, A People's History of Self-Determination. Herb, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey, good morning, Stephen. It's How good are to you, see man? you. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I love I love this book. Uh, mm-hmm. And Thank I you. love this. Uh, I, I love mostly the arc of the story it tells mm-hmm. and the completeness of the story it tells. Uh, not everybody understands how deep the roots are for the African American community that we have here in Detroit. How f- how far back they go, <laughs> and and how the things that we sort of deal with and talk about now, uh, with regard to racial tension and racial prog- progress, are really old narratives. They are narratives mm-hmm. that sort of rear their head over and over and over again in Detroit. You're absolutely right in terms of trying to determine. Just how deep those roots are. <laughs> you know, at some point, though, you have to kind of make a decision that you have to cut it off some point. You can't go all can't the way back to back Africa. To you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I think the, the uh, when you understand the uh, nature of the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. uh, that's probably a pretty good entry point. Let's get on that train. Right. Get on that train. Right. Which, of course, you're talking about a pipeline, you know, out of the south. Uh, away from Jim Crow and the Ku Klux Klux Klan Mm -hmm. and and Knight Riders and the Mm -hmm. Bo Weevil and what have you and other kind of uh, the menaces of African-American life in the South. So if you try and you've got these fugitives who are running from this peculiar institution Mm -hmm. and one of the straight pipelines is from Alabama to Detroit. Yes. Of course, if you were further west, you were on the Mississippi River, you probably ended up in Chicago. But uh, then, of course, that's the beginning to see this here influx of uh, the black community into this here neck of the woods, you might say. Yeah. Of course, I take the book back to 1701. I come right. in with Cadillac. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Even discuss the, the po- potentiality or at least some possibility of uh, Cadillac having a strain of uh, African blood there. They sure. called him the Black Prince. <laughs> right, you right. Know, that was a, something I didn't know anything about. Of course, if you go outside of Detroit, a lot of people don't understand where the Cadillac name comes from. That it was a man. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or yeah. Pontiac, for right. that matter, right. you know, in terms of the indigenous people in this part of the country. You know, and and I'm glad you brought up Cadillac because I think that's a a, a nice sort of bedrock mm-hmm. for a conversation about how complicated racial history always is. Yes, that that this I we like to sort of separate ourselves into these very stark categories and and sort of put walls between us, but. Uh, most of our history is 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 very intertwined, uh, and that's really true here in Detroit as well. And, and no doubt about it. And so I guess you take the perspective in terms of uh, the aperture that I look. I take it through the African-American perspective, and there's so many different angles that you can use in order to uh, kind of sift out uh, the tapestry. A very complex, you know, interwoven of uh, history that we've had. 
focusing on African-American history, no matter where you are in this country, you have like a very unique angle in Mm -hmm. terms of understanding American history Mm -hmm. because they're almost inextricably connected. If you look at some of the major milestones in this country, you know, black people were there. Right. Take it back to Christmas addicts. You know, we (laughs) always start right there in terms of the kind of heroic, courageous move that he made in terms of the struggle for the independence in this country. So that's the kind of beginning of black self-determination, too, yes. because you follow that thread then right on down through particularly the Civil War. And, of course, Detroit, you say, oh, well, what role did they have in that? <laughs> well, you we have to understand that when you have uh, the draft riots in New York yes. of 1863, we have a similar kind of disturbance here in Detroit at the same time, almost for the same reasons, yes. you know, in terms of what populations, the ethnicity struggles that are going on at that time between the black and the Irish, particularly uh-huh. uh, the struggle for jobs. And, and, of course, the whole housing situation is going to be a continuing narrative in terms of hostility and, and, and contention, you know, in Detroit's history. Yeah. So what I do, I try I me mean, people say synonymously with Detroit, you say Motown and the automobile industry. But, you know, Stephen, I try to plumb a little bit deeper than that right. and to show <laughs> some of the contextures in terms of uh, politics, yeah. the political formations that were derived right out of this, uh, the fulcrum of struggle here in terms of the Dodge Revolutionary Union Movement, the League of Revolutionary Black Workers, the Shrine of the Black Madonna, Republic of New Africa, the Nation of Islam, sure. you know, started coming right out of Black Bottom, you know. So all of these kind of different narratives that we follow, whether it's political, economic, uh, cultural, you know, Detroit is this Black Detroit in particular, are very instrumental in yeah. that uh, evolution, Absolutely. that struggle. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Herb Boyd, a journalist and author of a new book called Black Detroit, A People's History of Self-Determination. Uh, the book was released this week, and the Wright Museum is going to host Herb and a Blue Chip panel tomorrow to talk about uh, the work. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. And you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Herb, mm-hmm. one, one of the things that, that I think is really important to discuss when we discuss our history here in Detroit is the history of slavery oh, here yes. in Detroit. And that surprises a lot of people when you talk about it because people think of slavery as a Southern institution, which it primarily was, but there were there were slaves here in Detroit, mm-hmm. uh, plantations. Here oh, no doubt about it. And, and that's pretty much the is, is, is a kind of germinal, the seminal point in terms of looking at the uh, this year's struggle for self-determination. I focus on a number of abolitionists, you know, going back to the 1830s, particularly William Lambert and George D. Baptiste and Mm -hmm. Madison Lightfoot and William Webb. And, and of course, their spouses as well, very much involved in the whole Blackburn affair of 1833. That's a very uh, pivotal moment in terms of understanding the tension that's going to be a kind of a cumulative process across the ages, you know, what goes on there, what's going on with this here struggle between the black and the white community. And so the central pivot at that time is, of course, slavery. So the abolitionist movement, you know, gathers momentum at that time and 
by the time of the Civil War, we have a considerable number of people who are involved. Remember that John Brown, <laughs> the great radical abolitionist, mm-hmm. came here and met Frederick Douglass. We have a marker downtown Detroit to show exactly where that occurred, <laughs> William Webb's house and all of that. So that's a part of the discussion that we have to have in understanding the kind of roots yeah. of this here city and, and, and the role of African Americans in that whole progress and growth and development. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, of course, the large proportion, the largest proportion of African-Americans who are here now mm-hmm. came in the Great Migration uh, uh, in the early part of the 20th century with, sure. with industrialization uh, in the North. Talk about how that changed Detroit and how it changed the relationship <laughs> between black and white in Detroit. Well, one of the things that's always curious thing, uh, Stephen, across our history is that if there's a small penetration of African Americans, <laughs> that's no problem. Yeah, everyone's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we can tolerate a few of you. <laughs> but when those numbers, you know, start to, uh, start grow, to grow and increase, you know, then it begins to create some tension in terms of jobs and housing and education, to say nothing of political affairs. So by the 1920s, when Henry Ford put out that call, he said, $5 a day. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, it resonated across the South. <laughs> so that's the first major, the Great Migration. So many of the people, the African American people who are in Detroit, they trace their ancestry, their legacies, and the histories in this city go back to the 1920s, right? Uh, Of course, then is a second migration during World War II. And again, it's stimulated for some of the same same reasons in terms of uh, what happens with the whole industry and the shifting uh, from building cars and trucks, you know, suddenly to tanks and what have (laughs) you, the armaments of war. That made Detroit like the arsenal of democracy, you know, during World War II. So those are two very important influxes of the African-American population. In the 1920s, it created a tremendous number of problems because they were not prepared for this influx. Uh, Now you have people like Forrester B. Washington and John Danzey, the whole Urban League, what we understand about the history of the uh, National Urban League, well, the germinal point for that is right in Detroit. They understand that suddenly they have all of these here, so-called, I call them blues people, who, who, <laughs> arrive, who arrive in Detroit. And what are we going to do with them in terms of housing? We're not prepared for that. In terms of social welfare, the whole uh, situation with uh, with the education sure. and providing you know, the, the support for families, none of that was like in place. But then you have the, the genius and the creativity, the ingenuity coming from a John Dancy and a force to be watching of members of the Urban League who had picked up on a notion of social welfare yeah. that was coming from, you know, out of New York right. principally. But Detroit was kind of like the sounding board, you know, the kind of test run, the just rehearsal that was going to be then emulated and 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 spread all over the country, you know, in terms of what it meant in terms of housing and, sure. uh, and social welfare for African-American people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that tension, we still... We still are trying to sort of sort that out today. We didn't ever get over it. <laughs> Was that <laughs> tension? Uh, the tensions that those oh, that yes. were caused by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that still frames it still the, frames the, the, the conversation and uh, and and our politics. No doubt about it. I mean, it's a continuing part of our narrative in this country in terms of dealing with the the circumstances, conditions 
that face all of us, and certainly more peculiarly in terms of the African-American population. You right. know, what are you going to do about that kind of challenges and obstacles that we face? The subtitle of the book is that, uh, The People's Struggle for Self-Determination. Right. And so as we can see, Stephen, as we've discussed this, there's always these obstacles and these challenges that we've faced across the years. You know, whether it was restricted covenants, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of kind of circumscribing us into and limited our aspirations right. and possibilities. You'll terms, live here, but not there. That's exactly right. And then breaking out of that, you know, the kind of breakthroughs that occurred to push outside of those perimeters, you know, I call them the northern Jim Crow perimeters, you know, <laughs> right. this is the up south aspects yeah. of discrimination, racism, bigotry, sure. and and white supremacy. So, so one of the things about this is to see the African American uh, ingenuity and genius from one generation to another. And if you're talking about it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you look at like a, from a legal standpoint, mm-hmm. the kind of jurisprudence we've had here with a you know Wade uh, McCree. We sure. talk about uh, Damon Keith. You talk mm-hmm. about uh, Ken Cockrell. Those individuals who brought a certain kind of legal expertise that was just profound yeah. and had like uh, it ramified all over the country. Yeah. A number of people pick up on some of the strategies and techniques that Ken Cockrell and Justin Rabbits brought into yeah, the court. Started, started here in Detroit. Exactly. All right. Her boy, journalist and author <laughs> of Black Detroit, A People's History of Self-Determination. He will be at the Wright Museum tomorrow at 2 p.m. for a blue chip panel to discuss his work. Thank you very much for being here. Always a good Stephen, baby. Always great to see you. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for me this week. I'll be back on Monday. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a public service of Wayne State University. We'll see you the next week.